HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's program is brought to you by Kane Vineyard and Winery, a Napa Valley winery committed to respecting the soil and dedicated to the creation of three Cabernet blends. For more information, visit Kane5.com. This is Mitchell Davis, host of Taste Matters. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food. That's food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Erica Wides. So Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving has come and gone. Thanksgiving has come and gone. And almost, almost all the leftovers have been eaten. Almost. We had a lot of leftovers, except some plain, boring mashed potatoes in a Ziploc bag that got sent home with us from the home of the family member who made way, way too many mashed potatoes since we were only like five adults and she made like eight pounds of potatoes. And with all the other tasty turkey supporters on the table, who needs plain mashed potatoes? I, I, I don't get it. I mean, that's just, you know, in my humble opinion. But we already discussed that two weeks ago. Remember we talked about potatoes and I talked about mashed potatoes and... We're done with that. We're done with talking about them. We're done with eating eating them. It's basically all we have left from Thanksgiving is this one little plastic bag filled with plain mashed potatoes, and they're just sitting in the fridge, and no one's eating them. So I'm going to just dump them in the compost this weekend and return them to the earth from whence they came. Ashes to ashes, spuds to spuds, back to the place of your birth, the great circle of life. Bye, mashed potatoes. But meanwhile, while that's happening, in other post-Thanksgiving news, the carcass, that is the turkey carcass, the bones of that turkey, that carcass is happily hibernating in my freezer right now, awaiting its final destiny as turkey soup. I had to take home, I didn't have to, I wanted to take home the carcass from my 
brother-in-law's house where we went for Thanksgiving last week, rescuing it from going in the trash where it almost went because he wasn't going to use it since I guess they just planned on eating nothing but mashed potatoes until Christmas Eve based on how many they made. He had no interest in using the carcass or making turkey soup, which completely boggled my mind. So I put that turkey in a bag and I took those bones home where I will happily use them. Because why would anybody askew or throw away or reject the bones of anything? Bones are culinary gold. Bones are the shit. Basically, bones are a free bonus with your purchase. They're like an extra hidden meal inside the meal. It's like getting, it's like finding a lump of gold inside of a burger. That's a terrible metaphor, but you know what I mean? Like a big bony prize at the bottom of your Cracker Jacks box, but like way, way better than those stupid Cracker Jacks prizes, which were always like little fake tattoos that never really worked and were always blurry or, you know, like little plastic things that sucked. Generally speaking, the bones and the shells of animals have way, way, way more flavor than the animals themselves. Like the shells of shrimp taste better than the shrimp themselves, but you can't eat the shells, so you cook the shells. That's why in my freezer I have all sorts of little crumpled bags and random containers of things like shrimp shells and chicken backs and duck necks crowding out the frozen salmon patties and frozen blueberries because that's... That's what I do. I hoard them because that's where the flavor is. Because as a chef, I learned, I have learned in my experience, that that's where the real value of a food comes from, the flavor and the versatility of the bones and the shells, the scrappy stuff, the stuff that would normally get thrown away, the, the, the stuff that people reject in this era of throwing away and food waste. The bones and the shells and all those little bits, that's the real stuff. It doesn't get any more real and anti-foodiness than cooking bones, does it? I mean, if you're going to be fundamental about it, there's nothing less foodiness than bones. Because the only foodiness bone product I can even think of is like something for pets, like those bone-shaped doggy biscuits. But they're not even really bones. They're just shaped like bones. So that is truly the dog foodiness world right there. It's not really a bone. It's just shaped like a bone, and it's not really made from bones. might have some bone meal in it. We're not really sure what's in it. Mostly like dehydrated whey protein probably and... Who knows? Ground up sawdust. But I think that foodiness bone products are coming. Yes, I think we're on the brink of a wave of foodiness bone products. I think it's coming. Now, I suppose that some of those calcium added products out there, you know, there's like calcium added to things where it's not supposed to be now, like in orange juice and cookies and peanut butter. There's calcium added. Those have been pumped up with bone meal or calcium, you know, chemically or mechanically extracted from bones in some horrible Holocaust-like process. But I've yet to see anything like new one-a-day crunchy bone fighter chips for women. A fun caveman-like way to get your calcium on. Now pumpkin spice flavor. Did you get that? I stumbled over it a little bit. New one-a-day crunchy bone vita chips for women. I can totally see it coming. You can channel your inner pebbles flintstone with those. You can tie a bone in your hair. You know, you can whack Bam Bam with a club. Take those crunchy Vitabites bone chips every day. I'm telling you, it's coming. Bones are the new frontier. Maybe even like a variety pack of crunchy bone Vita chips, like all shaped like little different bone shapes, like little tiny femurs and ribs and vertebrae and skulls. And, you know, you can pick which shape bone you want to eat that day. That would be really cool. 
It's like when I was a little kid and I took Flintstones chewable vitamins. The best ones were the dino-shaped ones, the dinosaur-shaped. Of course, dino was the best. He was purple. He tasted the best. I didn't want to ever eat the Fred. Something about eating Fred Flintstone, even as a kid, kind of skewed me out a little bit. Who wants to eat Fred when you can eat Dino? Or maybe Barney. But just because bones haven't really trickled down yet through the tangled dietary trend worlds of local and grass-fed and paleo and gluten-free and green brain and vegan, well, no, I guess not vegan. Although there's a vegan butcher shop opening in Minneapolis that sells like vegan maloney and vegan salami. Ugh, the thought of that makes me like, blah, blah. but the bones haven't trickled down yet and made their way to the realm of foodiness yet. But like I keep saying, it's only a matter of time. The cycle is so accelerated now of taking something from, you know, food world, cutting edge, cool to mass market to industrialized, commodified foodiness version of itself practically overnight that I'm sure that someone in some lab at Kraft or General Foods or Unilever is right now, as we speak, trying to concoct in their lab a palatable, marketable, crunchy bone snack. Because think about how many bones are out there just waiting to be used up. New tibia treats. Wholesome, crunchy, meaty-flavored bone snacks for the whole family. Now in chipotle chocolate, wasabi barbecue, or red velvet creamsicle flavors. All it takes is the right marketing to convince people to start eating something. Look at all the things people eat now that they never used to eat. Just takes good marketing. You could even do like a product placement at like the Golden Globe Awards or like show Ryan Seacrest crunching on a fun new snack backstage, you know, munching on tibia chips backstage and you're in. Some clever marketing, a viral campaign, social media, Instagram, all that stuff. And you're in. I mean, like I said, the meat industry produces millions of tons of bone waste each year. Millions of tons of bones. Now, most of them get ground up and used in bone meal for food processing and pet food and fertilizer. It gets used, but you know what? Why not rebrand it into snacks? Why don't we eat it? Most Americans now eat more snacks than meals anyway. That statistic just came out this week that more Americans get more calories from snacks than food than meals anyway. And who doesn't love something crunchy and meaty? Think about it. It's coming. I know. I can feel it. I mean, already bone broth is all the rage here in New York. Bone broth. Bone broth. Bones boiled in water. The hottest new hot beverage to hit New York this year. Bone broth. It's what humans have made forever. Since we realized that humans... That, not humans, maybe, that animals tasted a lot better and were a lot easier to eat if we put them on the fire and cooked them. And then when we invented cookware, well, the bone broth thing really took off because we could cook our bones in water for a long time and actually make something edible out of them. I mean, it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. Bones are full of gelatin, which is a kind of protein and is really good for you. And it's good for your nails and your hair and your skin. And it makes you strong. And you get a really hefty dose of calcium and minerals and amino acids with every spoonful of bone broth, too. So why not? I mean, who hasn't sipped hot chicken broth for a cold? Right? We've been eating it all along. We just haven't had the right marketing for it. And that's what it's all about. Marketing. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back.
It is so exciting to have this new medium. Hosting after the jump has been a huge part of me transitioning from being a blogger to somebody who has sort of real important conversations with people in real life. My show, I, I kind of describe it as an audio trade magazine. I learn a ton from the guests every week, whether it's, it's restaurants, bars. All the hosts at Heritage all come from different perspectives. Everyone should be listening to this. If you're interested in conservation and and practical approach to renewable food sources, you know, not this big industry. Whether it's history, uh, laws, social policies of food, I think people now take food seriously, and hopefully what's on their plate will become something very special. And I feel that podcasting has a future, giving people information in a format they can really use on the go. We need your support to keep these conversations going. To donate, visit heritageradionetwork.org backslash donate. Welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food here on Heritage Radio Network. And speaking of Thanksgiving, did you know that today is Giving Tuesday? At least today when I'm doing the show. Most of you probably don't listen to it live. But it is Giving Tuesday. You know, after Cyber Monday and Black Friday and Stuff Yourself Thursday. So think about it. We're member-supported nonprofit radio. Come on, you know what to do. It's right there on the website. Thank you. So anyway, right on cue, right on cue, speaking of bones and bones being the next thing, there's a hot new takeout window in New York City, in the East Village, of course, that's selling bone broth in cups to hipster foodies. Yeah, bone broth in cups. So it started this fall. Um, and Marco Canora, who is the chef of Hearth and of the Terroir restaurants, which I like a lot, all of those, he started it. He's taking basically their house stock, the stock they used to make, and he made a few other varieties. And he takes these intensely flavored, high quality, he's calling it a broth, a stock and a broth. Eh, it's debatable if they're different. Stock is made from bones, broth is made from meat and bones, basically. He's making these broths out of beef and turkey and chicken and, you know, all grass-fed, pastured animals, all the good stuff, and then flavoring them with ginger and vegetables and other aromatics and then selling it to people. And you can customize them with fermented beet kvass. Kvass is like beet beer or chili oil or turmeric or other things. Selling it in cups, $6 for a small, $9 for a large. Hmm. Now, what he's doing, all that stuff, it sort of sounds like what I eat for breakfast every day on my quinoa. I'm saying. Now, I am not criticizing this concept. You know me. Generally, if I bring something up, it's because I'm going to criticize it. But no, I'm not criticizing this concept at all because you know what? I wish that I had come up with it myself because it's brilliant. Even if he is charging $9 for a 16-ounce cup, even more genius because people are paying for it. People are lining up to drink this stuff. Now, he said he got the idea for it from drinking cups of their stock in the restaurant anyway, every day. And after he decided to revamp his diet because he was getting unhealthy and overweight and diabetic and he was a smoker and he went to a nutritionist and the nutritionist totally revamped his diet, he realized that drinking cups of this bone broth every day would be very nutritious and beneficial and make him feel good and healthy and everything. He's right. I know this because back when I was a sous chef at Arcadia which is a long defunct restaurant in New York City, but it was the last restaurant I worked at before I went rogue. I was responsible for making the stocks there every week, and I would always drink a big mug of my fresh fish stock 
right after I made it, right from the pot, because I loved it. The, like, it had this like sticky mouthfeel from the gelatin, from the bones that had leached into it, and then it had this great, like really fresh, like high tide smell. Because, you know, that's what I always say about fish, and when you cook fish and all kinds of fish, it should always smell like high tide, not low tide. High tide, good. Low tide, bad. This smelled like high tide and leeks and celery and parsley, and it was so soothing and tasty, and so I would just dip a mug into the stock as it was finishing cooking, and I would just slurp it down. And sometimes I would drink, like, a quart of our chicken stock also, maybe with, like, some scallions and some chili oil and some sesame oil, especially if I was feeling a little under the weather. Who doesn't drink chicken soup when they're sick, right? It's actually been proven to be beneficial, like, has health-giving properties. Chicken stock. See, grandmas knew this all a lot. Well, great-grandmas. Grandmas now are, like, my age, like, 50. They don't know anything. They grew up eating Pop-Tarts and cup of soup. I would never drink our veal stock, though. That was a little bit weird. There's something a little too syrupy and viscous about veal stock, and we would boil that all down to demi-gloss anyway, and I wasn't so into the idea of drinking that. But Marco's broths at his, what's it called, Brodo place, they're, they're clearer and they're more intense, and they're meant to be drunk, not cooked with, you know, sipped like tea. Now, frankly, I think he's brilliant for doing it. He grew up in an Italian family, and Brodo, which is brothy soup, was a big part of what he ate all the time. Like, you know, me being a Jew, we always had chicken soup. It's the same idea. And like I said, I think he's brilliant. Now, would I pay $9 for a 12-ounce serving? Um, no. Hell no. But plenty of people are, and it's a great idea. You know what? It's the new juice. Hmm. Maybe I should steal it from him. The new juice. Now, I'm sure the foodiness spies are already lurking. I'm sure Unilever sent some of their people out to the East Village from Englewood, New Jersey, where they're located, to scope it out, and they're skulking around. Because I can already see it. Because remember how I said that cycle is so accelerated now from, like, hipster cutting-edge foodie world to mainstream to processed and packaged? Think about it. I can see it already. New from Campbell's East Village style bone broth in a single serving, self heating, recyclable can. And it would be sold in vending machines on the streets of Bushwick. Like that bicycle repair vending machine that's down the block from here. When I was in Jap- Japan, when I was in Japan like 10 years ago, they had vending machines that sold hot cans of green tea. So the technology exists, it's all there. You can do it. Maybe Campbell's needs a spokesperson for this, for their new line of soups. You know what? I would totally do it. I would tell out to Campbell's and I would do it. Campbell's already has this whole new line of hipster soup flavors and pouches. Have you seen these in the stores? They come in like a Mylar pouch and they have these like photos of like quirky, nerdy glasses wearing cool kid models on them. are supposed to look like they're kind of irreverent and cool and the kind of people who would never eat soup from a can, but we'd eat the cool soup from a pouch because it's a totally different mode of soup eating, man. It's like the new cutting edge style of soup. And they come in new flavors like golden lentil with madras curry or Moroccan style chicken and chickpea or creamy red pepper and smoked gouda. What? These sound like real food to me. These sound like soups you would like get in a restaurant, like a decent restaurant with like a smart person cooking, you know, not like a cheesecake factory or something. Because Campbell's, like all the other major food and foodiness manufacturers, are desperately trying to capture the millennial market. It's all about the millennials. Everyone wants that millennial dollar. Since the millennials 
are eschewing packaged and processed and foodiness like no generation before them has. They're actually incredibly focused on eating real food and incredibly, well, not all of them. I don't know them all. I know a few because there's a bunch of interns around here. And Jack's one. He's a millennial. So, you know, he's my model for millennials. Where was I? Oh, so, you know, since millennials are doing it, every corporation sort of wants, they want them. They want that dollar, that millennial dollar. So maybe Campbell should just copy Marco's broth window instead, like maybe a truck, like they could open a truck and it could be owned by Campbell's, but they could have like a cover company, like pretending to be like an independent scrappy startup and they could do like a Kickstarter thing and they could sell bone broth and also tibia treats like they, you could get like soup and crunch together, like a cup of bone broth and then like a little bag of crunchy bone tasty snackies made out of bones. You call it the bone truck. I like it. All right, forget Campbell's. I'm going to do it. Call my lawyer. Maybe I'll get a whole fleet of these trucks. Bones across America. Forget all those stupid juice places because bone broth is the new kale juice. Now, since the invention of anthropology, I mean, you know, we invented anthropology, right? Because it's the study of us. We invented it. Anthropologists have done all kinds of research on humans and civilization based on the teeth marks and cut marks of fossilized bones. That's how we know when people started eating animals because those animal bones are fossilized and there's cut marks on them and teeth marks on them because people had stronger teeth back then. And we've learned all sorts of stuff about when we started cooking our food and when we started eating meat and what our dietary habits were hundreds of thousands of years ago. And you know how we all like to talk about nose-to-tail cooking now? It's all about nose-to-tail cooking, using the whole animal. Well, how about cooking the entire animal and then taking its bones and boiling them for soup and then cracking those bones open and sucking out every last bit of marrow and fat in them and then throwing the bones to the dogs so they could chew on them and build up their teeth and jaws so that then they can help you hunt down that next wild antelope to put in your pot. That's nose-to-tail. I mean, hell, that's paleo. For reals. Like, that's what paleo is really all about. Bones are literally the foundation. Bones are the bones of Western cooking. The foundation. I mean, the French word for stock is fond. Fond means foundation. Since you use them to make stocks and broths, and in the traditional European kitchen, and most of Asia, too, the stock is everything. People probably got more of their nutrition needs met from the protein leached out of the bones into the stock than from their little share of the scrawny farm animals that they were slaughtering or the wild game that they would catch once in a while. Think of the food power of a broth or a stock, like a bowl of chicken soup or a bowl of pho or a ramen or a Cantonese noodle soup, all utterly dependent on a good stock made from bones. The viscosity, the mouthfeel, the texture of a good broth or a stock that totally comes out from the slow, slow dissolving of the collagen in the bones, that collagen, the building block of tissue, melting into gelatin and then magically transforming water and scraps into soup, into food. That's real. You can't replicate that with foodiness. There's no way. That's just real. And I'm sorry, vegans and vegetarians, too. But without the bones, it's just not the same thing. I'm sure. You can get good flavor and even some viscosity in a soup or a broth with mushrooms and kelp and stuff. But if all those bones are around, why not just use them up? Why would my brother-in-law pass up an opportunity for that 
Why would he be willing to throw away his turkey carcass? Well, I'm not going to go there because I'm already in enough trouble with the family just for talking about the mashed potatoes, but, you know, you know what I'm talking about. All right, we're going to take another quick break. Then we come back. Oh, even more about bones. This is Chris Howell from Cane Vineyard and Winery, calling in from Spring Mountain above the Napa Valley. Thank you for listening to this show. In our industrial world of highly processed food and wine, we support the values of Heritage Radio Network. All of us at Cane encourage you to seek out individuality and beauty in everything you eat and drink. To learn more about us, go to Cane5.com. And welcome back to Let's Get Real, the cooking show about finding, preparing, and eating food on Heritage Radio Network with me, Eric Whites. So while we're discussing bones, let's talk about parts. As in the good, tasty, bony parts of the animals we eat. Now, yet again, back to Thanksgiving, because what's better than a turkey neck? And nobody eats, I eat the neck. I actually think the neck's best part of a turkey. Nobody eats. The turkey we got didn't even have a neck. It didn't come with giblets. There was no liver, no neck. Or a wing or the tail. Do you ever eat the tail of a bird? Birds have these little tails and they store all this fat in there. Like sheep, you know, sheep have a lot of fat in their tails too. Birds have this little like triangular protuberance, protuberance, and it's all fat. And when you roast it, it gets all crispy and drippy. And I always just steal the tail off a roasted turkey or chicken before it even hits the table so that nobody knows. The bony parts of the animals that move around the most taste the best. We all know that. So why this obsession with huge breasts? Why? Don't answer that. Why do we want these massive, bland blocks of white protein strapped to the front of our birds? Why? It's like the bird put on like a life preserver filled with like white foam. And then we slice off that life preserver and slice it up and eat it every year. It's like... It's like chunks of carved styrofoam with no flavor and no moisture and no juicy fat. And like, what's the point? I don't get it. I don't understand why you'd want those big bland blocks of white protein. Now, a few years ago, I brought a heritage turkey to the house of my in-laws who host us every year. And I roasted that heritage turkey up. Now, granted, if you're used to the big-breasted, blandly-flavored industrial turkey, a heritage turkey will be a big change for you. It takes some getting used to, and it might not be popular among certain relatives. But this year, basically after that, they rebelled, and they said, no, we're buying the turkey. So this year, they bought the turkey. And while it wasn't quite the foodiness level of abomination like a butterball, which is probably what somebody wanted it was actually still really good they got a good turkey i don't know where it was it was good it had good flavor i don't know where it came from i don't know what brand it was i i didn't want to know although it was pretty delicious because if i ask then i'm immediately challenging and then i put people on the defensive and i'm branded a snob they love to call me a snob so i just let it go and it was good but huge breasts it had like double d breasts on it they loved that because they all wanted the white meat My sister-in-law even said, remember a few years ago you brought us that turkey that looked like an Ethiopian famine victim? What? 
as in it was leaner and narrower and had a much smaller breast and didn't fit her idealized, commercialized, foodiness-sized picture of what a turkey should look like. If I were Ethiopian, I would have been super offended. And if I were a turkey, I'd have been really offended. And as a chef and a defender of real food, I was extremely offended. But... I just nodded and refilled my wine glass and kept chopping mushrooms for the stuffing while she mashed her potatoes, those potatoes that are now on their way to the compost pile this weekend. So tonight, when I get home, that turkey carcass gets brothed. The carcass plus that one leg that wasn't eaten because I'm the only dark meat eater, they're going in the pot where they'll gently simmer and bubble and those bones will quietly release and exude their flavor and their gelatin and their calcium and their aminos and I will have delicious rich beautiful turkey bone broth which I'll strain and cool and freeze and then when I'm ready to make soup in a few days I'll add some onions and leeks and carrots and celery and maybe ginger garlic whatever I want my soup depends on what I feel like but tonight since we're predicted to get our first slush fall of the season and I have to go to the pool and take synchronized swimming from eight to nine o'clock where I'll do my own simmering and floating in a big kettle of water. When I get home, I'm going to eat a big bowl of turkey bone broth. It's the final gift of Thanksgiving. It's the gift that keeps on giving, really. I'll be using that broth all winter, hopefully. And that's really something to be thankful for. We are just about out of time. Let me remind you again that it's Giving Tuesday and we are a nonprofit member supported station. And if you like this show or any of our other shows, you should really become a member because membership has its privileges. You can join on our website. Just go to heritageradionetwork.org, click on join or donate or whatever it says on there. And remember that you can listen to this show live Tuesdays at one o'clock on heritageradionetwork.org or later on in the evening on letsgetrealshow.com or on heritageradionetwork.org forever and ever, anytime. Also, all of our shows are on iTunes and Stitcher, and there's literally thousands of them now. So when the apocalypse comes and all we have left is the internet, you can sit underground with me in the shelter and listen to these shows forever or until we starve. Remember, you can also follow me on Twitter at Let's Get Real Show and find us on Facebook. And what else can I tell you? Uh, oh, yeah, Huffington Post. Check out my column on the Huffington Post. And that's it. We're out of time. Thanks to Jack in the control room. Thanks to Ben Kaplan for writing my great theme song. There it is. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.